that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gift, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am implied supplied now that I have received from Aphrodite the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And, and my God meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ, Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. forever. Amen. Amen. For the word of the Lord. <laughs> well, before we begin today, I just want to say thank you so much to uh, this uh, missions team from Newcastle. This place here at Trinity was bursting with energy and power and authority over the past week. I heard them singing as I was trying to prepare my message. About every hour between different events, they would get back up here and they would sing and they would sing loud. And I remember thinking, what are the neighbors thinking about Trinity right now? They must be thinking, there must be a revival taking place at Trinity this week. <laughs> And then I thought, if there was ever a demon in this place, it is no longer here because it would be so uncomfortable to be in this place with that kind of worship happening over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I want to pray uh, for this group because, as you know, Trinity has been through a lot in the last year. And while this group has come five years in a row and blessed us with their presence and all their volunteers and all of the forethought and uh, investment that goes into doing something like VBS, but this year was especially special because we really needed that shot of adrenaline. We really needed to feel the presence of God in a new and fresh way in this place. And you guys brought it. And I want to pray for you and thank you right now. And I would invite all of you to pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for this team from Newcastle. Thank you for their hearts, Lord, and for the energy that they brought with them, Lord. Thank you for their faithfulness to you, Lord, coming here five years in a row and investing a full week of their time 
to bless us and our children and the children of New York, Lord, and for the 50-some children that were here, Lord, that realized in this place that the gospel can be fun, that loving God can be great, that it can be something that is full of joy and passion and a hope and a future, Lord, and our kids need to hear that. Thank you, Lord, for infusing that in our kids through this group from Newcastle, Lord. I pray a, a, a hedge of protection around them as they leave today. And, Lord, I pray uh, that your spirit would rest upon them, an anointing would rest upon them, that as they go from this place, that not only did they give, but that they received from you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us here at Trinity over the past seven weeks, you know that we have been doing a series called Living Large, Experiencing the Life that God Intended. Experiencing the Life that God Intended. We've been doing it for seven weeks, and this is the final week of the series. And today, as you might have guessed from our scripture reading, we are going to look at the words of Paul from Philippians 4, where he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content. I've heard it said that in our world today, there are really only two tents that people live in. You can be content or you can be discontent. And the question is, which tent do you live in? Which tent do you live in? Because Paul is telling us that contentment is actually a choice. It's something that we have to learn, but it doesn't come easily for most of us, does it? It just doesn't come easy. And the problem is that most of us are trying to find contentment in all the wrong ways places. We're trying to find contentment in all of the wrong places. We tell ourselves, if I just had a little bit more money, then I would be content. If I just was a little more popular, then I'd be content. That's all I need. If I were just married, that's all I would need to be content. If I just had a child, that's all I would need if I just had a one-bedroom apartment instead of a studio, Lord, I would never ask you for anything ever, ever again. I promise you, Lord. Have you ever been there? We have all been there. I heard a story about a CEO who was walking through the cafeteria of the company that he owned. And as he was walking through the cafeteria, he overheard one of his employees talking about contentment. And his employee said to a friend of his, if I just had $1,000, I would be content. The CEO thought about that as he was walking by, and he stopped, and he turned around. He went back to this employee, and he said, I'm sorry, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. I heard you say that if you had $1,000, you would be content. And personally, I have never been content no matter how much money I have made, and I've made a lot of money. 
But because you think you would be content with $1,000, I am going to write you a check right now for $1,000. He pulled out his checkbook. He wrote a check for $1,000. He gave it to the man, and then he walked away. And as he was rounding the corner, he overheard that man say, can you believe that? Can you believe that that just happened? I should have said (laughs) $10,000. And that's just human nature, isn't it? That is our human nature. How many of you have purchased a lottery ticket? How many? Almost all of you have probably purchased a lottery ticket at some point. And even if you haven't purchased a lottery ticket, you have thought about what you would do with the money if you won the mega millions, $350 million. You know, you see the ads, you see the signs, you see the billboards. It keeps going up week after week after week. And when it hits that $300 million mark, you start thinking, oh, man, I should probably go out and buy myself a ticket. Right? So you go to the bodega. And you get ready to buy that ticket. But before you buy that ticket, you rationalize and you spiritualize your purchase. (laughs) You rationalize and you spiritualize your purchase. You say, Lord, if I win this, if I win this $350 million, I will give the church $100 million. I will give the church $100 million because about $175 million is going to go to taxes. $100 million is going to go to the church. Do you know what Trinity could do with $100 million, Lord? And Lord, I will take the rest and I will invest it in my friends and in my family. I will pay off my mortgage. I will pay off my student loans because, Lord, I know you would not want me to be in debt. And then I will take the rest, Lord... And I will invest it in the market. And I will live on the interest so that I can spend the rest of my life serving you in full-time ministry. And I will never have to take a salary, Lord. Makes you think I've thought about this before, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And even if it did work, I want to tell you that it probably wouldn't play out the way that you envisioned. It probably wouldn't play out the way that you envisioned. Do you know that statistically, almost everyone that wins the lottery ends up having a travesty of events take place in their lives afterwards to the extent that they wish they would never have played the lotto. They wish they would never have played the lotto. I want to tell you a story about one of those people. I want to tell you a story. This is incredible when you think about this. There's a guy by the name of Jack Whitaker. Maybe you heard the story. This is a true story. Jack Whitaker won $315 million. And eight months later, eight months later, he was robbed of $545,000 at a strip club. Now, it's probably not a good idea to buy a lotto ticket in the first place because your chances of winning statistically are so low that your odds are actually better of getting struck by lightning when you walk out of this facility today than it would be for you to win 
the lotto. Okay, so it's bad stewardship. Secondly, I think we can all agree that it's a bad idea to go to a strip club, right? It's a bad idea. It's an even worse idea to take $545,000 in cash to the strip club that you have just attended, right? After a month, a month later, a month after getting robbed, Jack's granddaughter died of an overdose, a drug overdose, from drugs that she had purchased with a fund that he had given her. A month after that, his daughter died of an overdose. And between mismanagement and people coming out of the woodworks that were suddenly his friends, Jack couldn't tell who his friends were and who his friends were not. And before long, he had lost everything. And a reporter interviewed him, and this is what Jack said. He said, I wish that when I got that lottery ticket and I knew I was the winner, that I would have ripped it up. That's what I wish, because it cost me everything. You see, more money, more popularity, more success, more of anything will not give us the contentment that we're looking for. Only God can do that. It will not give us the happiness we're looking for. But in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, Paul is telling us that he has found the secret to being content and that he's willing to share it with us. He's willing to share the secret. And by the way, he is in prison. He is bound in chains. He does not know if he will ever be released. He may be executed at any time, and yet he is absolutely content. He's absolutely content. In fact, he is able to stand up and sing praises to the King of Kings. And he pens a letter. You know, the book, the book of Philippians is actually a letter that was written to the church in Philippi. He wrote that letter, and if you read that letter, it is gushing with positivity, praise, and gratitude. How is that possible? The answer is found in one word that is repeated in Paul's letter over and over again, and it is the word mind. Mind. Paul uses the word mind ten times and the word think, and the word remember five times each. So we have 20 references to thinking, to using your mind. What is Paul telling us? He is telling us that the secret of being content is learning how to think. Learning how to think. It's developing a proper attitude, a proper perspective, a proper outlook. And when we are able to do that, we will experience contentment and joy regardless of our circumstances. Now, did you know that God will allow things to happen to you? God will allow things to happen to you both good and bad. Because he is more concerned 
withdrawing you into a relationship and developing your character so that you are equipped to do the things that he has created you to do. He is much more concerned with that than making sure that you are comfortable. He wants first and foremost to have a relationship with you. And when you're in the midst of those challenges, in the midst of those struggles, and you're ready to give up, you're ready to throw in the towel, you will find that his grace is sufficient for you if you have the proper perspective. You will find that he has been with you all the while, that he has never left you or forsaken you, and that he would never do that because he loves you more than you would ever know. He is preparing you for something far greater than you would ever hope or imagine. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but he's preparing you for something great. Now, I want to introduce you at this point to some good friends of mine, Ty and Amira. And some of you know Ty and Amira personally. Some of you will recognize the things that they have said, their story, because they were here a little over a year ago. And they shared their testimony about a heart-wrenching endeavor that they had to go through, that God allowed them to go through, and he was teaching them some things about his character, about contentment, about what it means to never waste the pain, about what it means to be content even when you're not getting what you want, the difference between wants and needs. And today, I invited them to come back so that I could interview them again because I want to share with you what God has done in and through their life since then. So Ty and Amira, if you guys would come up, I'd love to talk with you for a few moments. Let's see, you're going to need a mic. Yep, okay. Yep. Amira, I'll let you hold on to that. You might have guessed uh, that something's going on here. But Ty and Amira, thank you for being here. Um, we absolutely loved having you uh, several months ago. And I remember sitting right there in, in the front row listening to what you had to say. And my heart was breaking for you. And yet I kept thinking, God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and so this is not the end of their story. And here we are today, and I want to give those that do not know your story a little bit of a recap. In 2015, you found out that you guys were pregnant. You just had been married. You'd been on your honeymoon. Pregnancy. Boom. And three months into that pregnancy, you received the worst possible news that you would ever imagine from your doctor. Can you tell us about that? So, yeah, we went on our you know, honeymoon, got pregnant, and um, at that 
that 12-week appointment, the doctors told us that our son Creed had a condition called um, anencephaly, and it meant that he was not going to live much past birth if he survived the pregnancy. And so um, it was not compatible with life, were the exact words that the doctor used. And so as joyful as we were that I was actually able to get pregnant at my age, I was we were devastated. I can imagine. And, and I know that when we heard about that and we found out that you had chosen not to abort your baby, but instead against all of the suggestions of the doctors and the professionals and many of your friends, this church and a lot of other people prayed fervently that God would heal Creed, that God would do a miracle, and we knew that he could but that didn't happen. That did not happen. You did not give birth to the healthy baby that you had envisioned. How did that impact you? He died um, just a couple of hours before, uh, before birth, and so it was terrible. I mean, we, um, I kind of, you know, there was something called anticipatory grief, and so for from the 12th week until the 37th week when I delivered him, we were preparing that knew that he was going to die. I mean, believed in faith that God could heal him, but we didn't know if this healing was going to happen on this side of the grave or on the other side of the grave when he was in the arms of Jesus. But I wanted him to be in my arms first. And so was hoping that if he wasn't going to live, that he would at least live for a little while so I could then just give him back to God, just so I could see him alive for a few hours. That didn't happen. He died a few hours before um, I delivered him, and it was devastating, and I was angry at God for, why, why did you allow for me to stay pregnant? You know, that's the part that I don't get um, if you knew that you were going to take him just hours before I was going to deliver him. So it was, it was awful. And Ty, I know that, you know, as a husband, you know, you're trying to be there for your wife and uh, you're going through all of this. How is this impacting you? Uh, James, yeah, because it's, it's, I was dealing with, you know, trying to be the man, the strong one, yet also being upset and helpless. Um, and um, we were, you know, we didn't want to abort Creed, Creed because it was obviously at a heartbeat and we could not bring ourselves to stop another human being's heartbeat. And secondly, we had this belief that all the prayers that we were putting forth, that lots of people, including some in the, you know, the room, were putting forth that a miracle could be granted because God has a track record of granting miracles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then thirdly, though, um, in the, we, we figured it, in the event that a miracle were not going to happen, um, we at least wanted to give creed nine months of being comfortable in Amira's womb because the doctor said that he felt no pain inside her womb. So we tried our best to be parents, taking him to, uh, you know, an uh, NFL game, uh, going to a Billy Joel concert at Madison Square Garden, things like that. So Motley Crue as well. Oh. <laughs> so he had a wide palette of... Uh... <laughs> um. I know that, 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 you know, in the midst of that, you know, those are all bonding experiences. I mean, rather the baby's on the inside or the outside, you're going deeper and deeper in love with this child, and then the baby dies, you know. 
And, uh, and that leaves you in a position where you're like, God, what's the deal here? You know, what is this all about? Where are you in this? You know, and uh, when we asked you to, to come and share your testimony the last time, it was pretty fresh, you know, that loss. And you came here, and one of the things that I remember you saying over and over again as you were sharing your testimony is that, that refrain, do not waste the pain. Do not waste the pain. Can you tell me what you meant by that and, and, and what you were learning in the midst of that? Uh, James, as, as we all know, we will all feel pain in our lives. And Jesus felt unimaginable pain for us. Um, and... Don't Waste the Pain is really about um, asking better questions, changing priorities, and developing a closer relationship with God. Because I know we experience this, and maybe a lot of you have and or will. Some, some of the questions we asked ourselves in the midst of great pain uh, included, uh, what's the easiest, fastest way out of this? Another question was, God, are you punishing me? Are you punishing us? Have we failed you in some way? Um, and we don't waste the pain is about asking more empowering questions like, um, God, what is the deeper meaning in all of this? And Lord, how can we better serve you and others because of this experience? And um, it was don't waste the pain is also about developing a greater relationship with God. Because some people, when they go through great pain, seem to drift away from the Lord, whereas we can choose to develop a better relationship with the Lord. And so if I had to sum it up in one phrase about don't waste the pain, it would be when we're going through pain, it's not about looking for a way out. It's about looking for a way up. Okay, awesome. I know that, that you guys really bought into that, and you did everything that you possibly could to look up and to trust God in the midst of those circumstances, but it's a roller coaster. I mean, you're feeling tremendous waves of emotion. And I know that God was using your testimony to reach thousands of people. I know you had an online presence. There were a lot of people tracking with you throughout all of this. And there were a lot of people suffering in various capacities, and they could relate to you. So God was using that to minister to far beyond anything that you had ever hoped. But then in the midst of all of that pain, God did something miraculous. You got pregnant again. And this time, not only one, but twins. Okay? So God is redeeming. <laughs> I think God was just showing his faithfulness to you in a profound way, uh, honoring your faithfulness and your attempt to try and uh, align yourself with him, even in in the midst of challenges. Um, we have two beautiful little girls here. Two. Healthy and beautiful. Can you tell me what God has been teaching you since these two came into the world? Yeah, they're amazing. This is, this is Ashley, I mean, what's her name? <laughs> <laughs> this is Alexis Creed DeSaw, and this is Ashley Grace DeSaw. And um, Alexis was born first. Um, she was two minutes older than her sister. And um, from the moment that I found out I was pregnant with them to the moment that I delivered them, I thought that God was going to take them from me again. And so 
it was really hard to connect with them. I was much more connected to Creed than I was to these two. And so um, it took a while, actually. And friends would say, this is normal, this is defense mechanism, you know. And this is, you know, you'll connect it 12 weeks, give it 16 weeks, give it the 20 week, all these mile markers when you're pregnant. Wait till 28 weeks, 32 weeks. And then finally at 37 weeks, it's time to give birth. And I, you know, still didn't, I felt a little closer to them, but I just didn't feel like the connection that I had had with Creed. And so um, it was, it was, the miracle was certainly that I was able to get pregnant a second time. And that there were twins. Um, you know, and I should, and I, and I know that the Lord was with us in that entire experience. Like that was all him. Um, uh, but like it was hearing my doctor actually, when she came out in C-section and all that, when she came out, when Alexis came out, happy birthday, Alexis. That's what she said. And then, uh, I was like, did she just say my daughter's name? And then in that moment, it was like, there was a connection. There was like a love. There was like they're alive. She's alive, you know? And that was the most incredible experience to hear that, those three words, happy birthday, Alexis. I'll never forget that. And then two minutes later, she says, happy birthday, Ashley. And I was like, I thought I had a ton of love in my heart at that moment for Alexis. And then suddenly it was like another one. And I knew there was two, but it was just like, I can't explain it. I, the love I had and the connection I felt, they were mine. They were living. Uh, they were healthy. Uh, it was it was the most incredible experience, and the thing here, though, for, for us, for me, that I learned about God's character was that, you know, he was most certainly with us in the, the worst season of our lives, and um, he wasn't abandoning us. He wasn't, he didn't run away. <laughs> he wasn't afraid of the pain and the anger that I felt. Um, he, he was embracing us, and he was with us in that moment, and I'm not saying that because I have two babies to attest to that. I'm saying that because he was with me. He helped me grieve well. He helped me, us through the, the um, being able to talk about Creed after the fact. And the, the hunger to continue to walk with him in and after that, that was all God drawing me to himself. Um, and he not only was with us in the pain, but the contentment piece came in for us was when I realized, wow, he is also with us in the most joyous and the most glorious and the most incredible um, experience of our lives. And that's giving birth to these two and getting to raise these two. So um, to James' point, it's certainly not about the um, outcome. It's about the process. God is with, is with us in the pain and he's with us in the good stuff. And um, my contentment, I have no reason to doubt him. I just... There's no reason to doubt him, ever. Ty? Anything yeah. I'll just say this real quick, James. Um, yeah, like, prior to our experience with Creed, you know, it, I look back, and in my youthful naivete, a lot of my prayers were based upon getting more things, nicer things, more attention, being famous, rich, you name it. And those were all wants. And... Uh, something I learned through the experience was this pain in this ex exists in part so I can have a better relationship with God because that's what I need. And, and I learned if I get the vertical right, the horizontal will take care of itself. And I can safely say here, I have all that I need. <laughs>
Yeah, amen, amen. Can we, can we pray for these guys? Let's give them a round of applause. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for this family and for the testimony of your love and faithfulness, Lord. We know that life is challenging, that it is going to be filled with high highs and low lows. And if we could just learn to look to you, Lord, we would find contentment in all circumstances, the secret to being content. Lord, I love the way you work. You are a gracious and merciful and loving God. Thank you for this family. Thank you for blessing Ty and Amira. And thank you for their story, Lord. Put a hedge of protection around them and love on them, Lord. And make up for lost time, Lord. I know it was hard to bond with these babies in the womb. But there's a lot of time now, Lord, where, where Amira can pour herself into these two. And I pray that you would uh, restore anything that was lost. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it.